And welcome into another episode of the Vigilant Sports Spacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes coming to you from the Media Center inside Bankers Life Fieldhouse before Warriors shoot around. I'm joined by the top beat writer for the Warriors on the beat every single day, Anthony Slater of the Athletic in the Bay Area. How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing good. A little cold for uh, I know. You know April. Look at me. I'm wearing a sweater. I'm wearing like three jackets <laughs> because I'm not used to it, but uh, it's nice. Yeah, you're battling the elements. Not only an early morning. This is what eight a.m. for you out west, but also it's chilly. Uh, yeah, you know time zones don't really throttle me anymore because no? you know fifth year on the beat. Uh, it's just wh- wherever I wake up, whatever time it says, I'm cool with. But weather still, you know, if it's cold, especially this time of year, you know, you expect. I was hoping low fifties, sixties because I've only been here when it's cold. Uh, but it, is this considered cold for this time of year? Or is this normal? This is not normal at all. Okay. Um, Indiana's known for up and down temperatures. For yeah. example, we had like a big snowfall Sunday, okay. sunny as heck Monday, downpour rain, tornado warnings Tuesday. This that's a little bit unusual. It's like Oklahoma City it can't which make is, up its mind. Yeah, I used to work in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. It's kind it was like that too. Yeah. So. so we're all battling through. Usually, I always say the last week in March is kind of when we settle into spring. But this is we're watching the Masters. I was uh, here inside the media center, and I was just oh. Yeah, I'm ready for it. Wish like we were there, right? No kidding. I think I'm going next year. Okay. I think. Yeah, we'll see. I want to at some point. It's a bucket list item, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't even, you know, I'm not even a big golf fan. I, you might be, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. still, you know what I mean? It's just, it is one of those events where, you know, got to punch your ticket one time. Let's get right to it. First, I want to talk about your, I don't know if it's a leap of faith, but you were one of the early guys moving over yeah. from the Bay Area News Group mm-hmm. over to The Athletic, going from a traditional newspaper to this startup that none of us were exactly sure what it is or what it would become. Thus far, I think eight months in, though, very successful for you guys. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, you know, it kind of was a leap of faith. Um, it helped for me that I was going with Tim Kawakami and Marcus Thompson from my paper, who I'd work with, who have been successful, who I feel would be successful, especially in the market. If I was just going by myself and trying to say, hey, I'm going to you know, gain this many subscriptions just for my coverage, it would have been a bit harder, and I probably wouldn't have done it, but... Um, it was fun. Uh, you know, I was, you know, the situation with newspapers across the country. I mean, basically, unless you're Washington Post or New York Times and covering Trump or something right now, yeah. uh, you're not really driving uh, a ton of you know financial gain. It's kind of, I was just a little bit tired of being around a, you know, a part of a company that you could kind of, you were just trying to hold off the free fall as long as possible. Now, you know, I don't know if this is going to work, but it's, just, you know, uh, it was even less unsure than I was at the newspaper, you know, how long that job or, or that place was going to kind of stay standing. So I, I just want to be part of a place that I feel like, I, you know, can potentially be on the rise. And I think it has been, uh, you know, you've seen incredible hires in the MLB. They've gone big on MLB, NHL. They're good on, I don't really follow NHL coverage that much, but apparently we're Same. really good yeah, on Yeah, I don't follow much of any of those. Yeah. But what was telling to me was watching the Final Four and really the whole March Madness tournament. It seemed like all the memorable stories in my head were done by athletic writers. It was the Loyola story. It was Nicola Arbach, her story, Brian Hamilton. They aced it. When I wanted coverage from the championship game, the two top stories were on the athletic. You know, they give us – it's just the model gives a ton of freedom to uh, just – you're going to go and you're going to do one piece. You don't have to do a blog post on Steve Kerr said this or there's an injury update over here. Like, you know, I I can tweet that Kevon Looney's questionable and I don't need to have like a headline and five graphs. And it's just, you know, have one big long piece – 
you know, work on it all, you know, if it's all day, if you're at a final four and you know, that's obviously the story that, okay, just consume yourself with that piece. And then at the end of the night, pump something out that's, you know, meaty on it instead of just, uh, you know, all four games, you got to get, you know, blog posts here or there. Um, that, that's been very helpful for me. And I, I think it shows in everyone's writing across the site where, uh, you can tell it's just, it's kind of put in time into every link we put out there. It's, it's not just that, you know, quick hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's something that, uh, was needed in, in where the current business was. And I think we've provided it and, and, and it's shown because people are paying for it. And, uh, that to me is where everyone in the business needs to go towards because this business needs to make more money. It seems wildly successful, but much like I'm still saying right now about get up ESPN's new show. Can we give it some time? Like, people are blasting various things one weekend, six months in, a year in. Something like this, let's relate it back to basketball. Draft classes, or if you want to get silly, the 2K League draft yesterday. Like, we don't know. Let's give it three years. Like, come on. Yeah, at least. um, You know, (laughs) there's going to be successes and failures. You know, maybe they'll learn some cities weren't ready for it, or maybe the hiring was was right or wrong in some cities. Yeah. the right you know different sports you know maybe it works in college football and i don't know like nfl it doesn't uh, respond to or it it's just kind of a a test run like you said i mean this is very new and it's it's very aggressive um which i like but that leads itself to mistakes at times when you get you know what 20 million in venture capitalist money i believe was the last announced uh funding uh you go out and you you make all these hires some work some don't uh but i just it's just, and I, I, you probably feel the same way. It's just good for our business that we're not just talking like layoffs and you know this place is hemorrhaging and ESPN's slashing. It's like oh, this new place is just hiring a bunch of random places and in the back end now opening up jobs. And you know it's not even just that the athletic is hiring. It's that you know I left a place that hired somebody that had to hire someone so that to created, replace you on the beat. You know yep. that it created a job over there for somebody else. So I, that's just I think good for the industry. Yeah. It's funny, though, talking about that, and I think it will work. But then there's someone like me who continues to put out all my content, and it's all free. It's not behind anything. And so that's the challenge for whether it's individuals or whatever, what we do versus how that impacts the subscription model. If I can get quotes there versus, you know, you have to separate yourself. And that's something, for instance, you and and your other teammates in the Bay Area do a very good job about the number of content you put out differentiates you I think too is your your stock report your post game podcast is up you know an hour after a game so you become a go-to source for in this instance warriors coverage yeah you have to and I honestly think eventually um you know I don't know what we're talking about a decade 15 years from now but I think you know paying models are going to become increasingly popular and eventually if it gets to a point that we're like basically everything substantial on the internet you have to pay for then people will just be kind of trained to do so i mm-hmm. hope we're helping you know push that where people... we grew up where we're not used to it yeah you want to go on the, a website it's all free locally indie star it's all free you yeah. know you're expected to go there and not have to pay for it and netflix i think and amazon prime really changed that yeah i used to fear going behind a paywall mm-hmm. like i remember way back in the oklahoma days when i was covering the thunder even maybe even a little bit before that and there was talks that we might do a soft paywall, maybe you know five a month. I was like, Ooh, I don't want to do that. And then less people your readership. Read. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I've gotten to the point. I like it. I like when people tweet at me. Hey, like, no, I would read this, but I can't. I'm like, look, you know, you probably want Chipotle too, but you're not walking in and being like, I want that burrito free, or I'm not eating. Like, they do work. We do work. We want to be paid for our work. Yeah. For those that don't know, Anthony came over. Let's say with Durant. Might as well. 
about a month later. About a month later. Player to be named. Made all kinds. Right. Made all kinds of sense though for Bay Area to then first hire you after Duran, a guy that was probably as much plugged in as anyone to Oklahoma City, then moving. Um, to the Bay Area. How has that helped you in your coverage, both of the Warriors, but more so in understanding Durant and maybe with access to Durant? Yeah, I mean, all of that, really. Um, you know, I, I'm the only person that knows both sides of what has become like this weird. And you just intense. came from Oklahoma City, by the yes. way, on the last yeah, trip. So that's is, notable. Those are always interesting. Um, I just, I kind of understand both sides of that tense rivalry because I was on both sides of it. Uh, yeah, it has helped. I've had, you know, some good uh, interviews, scoops from him at times. Uh, it's not anything incredible. I mean, you still need to come and, and do your job, and I and I try to cover the Warriors as a whole. It has been interesting to go from uh, a team that is rightfully considered uh, very battened down and like you know secretive at times. Their PR guys are over the player's shoulder. Yeah, that's that's the unusual thing I've noticed about them. Yeah, uh, it's it's comes from up top. You know, that's how just Sam Presti wants to run his organization. Uh, to what would be you know considered, I'd say the top. Uh, most lax PR staff in the league uh, as far as like they really trust their players and you know some of it's circumstance you can trust these guys you can trust all the vets and all the stars and the Steph Curry's you know David West out there Durant even at times uh, to talk but the fact that you know their coach is super accessible super uh, you know I'm talking about Steve Kerr uh, willing to really speak out at times and uh, even through the organization I mean in Oklahoma City you can't talk to assistant coaches you know pretty much can't get to a lot of the support staff here it's like literally anyone and everyone uh is pretty much available so it's been you know interesting to be on both sides of it from a Durant perspective but just from a a big picture and and again they they remain tied uh in the western conference as far as this this rivalry that it just seems to always have legs thing that i'm most impressed with is the accessibility as it relates to the warriors like you you might record a podcast with someone the other day you had to sit down with Durant that's challenging for us to to get anywhere most places and i'm surprised to an extent that they they don't tone it down a little bit from the standpoint of these guys need to rest they need to to do stuff on their own time let's let's tone it back a little bit they've uh, they've just kind of empowered their players just to do what say, they want you know you if that reporter comes over and says hey i want to chat with you and you don't want to chat with that reporter say no oh, uh and, okay. and you know Simple it's as that a lot of the stuff that we might get is not necessary. It's not set up through the PR staff. It's just like I know KD or somebody or even Steph or any of the guys, and it's like I'll go. Hey, can I get you for five minutes? Uh, and if they know you, yeah, sure. Oh, what's the subject? You know, uh, that might dictate things. But uh, and Kerr is a talker. He loves to talk. You know, he he can sit after practice times, and uh, you're not talking on the record necessarily. You're talking maybe baseball this or that. But that helps later at times if uh, you want to approach him about something. They're just very approachable, and also. Um, I think there's such a comfort in uh, speaking out that, that they like to uh, be the voice. You know, a lot of – if you – like San Antonio Spurs, besides Popovich, Popovich kind of wants to be the voice of the organization, and they don't really want anyone else to say anything that makes headlines. Uh, here, everyone, uh, starting with their coach, even their GM will come out. It's not even just basketball stuff, obviously. It's social issues, uh, but they like – being the voice they like that everyone has a voice and that they can use it uh and they like to use it plenty i mean they strategically use us sometimes draymond wants to say something and he's like hey you know get i want to if i recall right you were the one um that got draymond after a big technical and he really spoke out about officiating yeah he said they should fire all the i mean that was um kind of crazy but it got him fined i mean (laughs) that to me from the outside 
uh, suggested he had something he wanted to get yeah. off his chest, so he went to a reporter he really trusted. Yeah, uh, he was frustrated. I think that was his 11th technical of the year. He's still at 15, which, you know, he ha- it's funny he's been at 15 for a while because, you know, 16 is the it threshold. And that's just kind of him. Like that, he's yeah. so, like, that's just, uh, he's sharp like that, but also, you know, put loves pushing the limit. Uh, but that was 11 early in the year, and he felt uh, refs were really dinging him for, for random stuff. There was one, I, he got ejected early in the year when Bradley Beal just, like, swung on him. But and you know ref sometimes it's like scuffle. Okay, both mm-hmm. guys you're gone, and he was like furious about that. Then that technical came soon after that, so that's why. Yeah, he he clearly wanted something to say, so we won't. You know, he uh, chatted with me about it, and then got fired for it. As a fellow blog boy, what do you make of Kevin yes. Durant and his frequency in ejections? Now you've long documented that. I think he's been tossed five times this year, and maybe like twice in his previous ten years, something to yeah, that extent. That's, it, once in a regular season with the Thunder, once in the playoffs. When I remember he he forearmed uh, Justin Anderson but yeah five times this year four of them are just really going after refs the fifth one was him and DeMarcus Cousins kind of got into a late game scuffle and got tossed um it's tough you know if, if it's bizarre to if, watch from afar it is if Kevin Durant was in here and, and we were looping him into this conversation he would be just furious that we would even try to tie nothing's changed a, Anthony a stat of ejections towards like you know what is this grand thing in, in his life I'm just being me yeah um but <laughs> I do think he he has he's a bit frustrated. I think you know if I was going to psychoanalyze, which he does not like to be psychoanalyzed, but uh, that so he came here and he got a crazy amount of criticism when he came to the Warriors, and he he'd never really gotten that in his career. He's kind of uh, he's always been really sensitive to what's out there, you know, being written and said about his team. But in Oklahoma City, it was always something about Scott Brooks that he didn't like, something about Kendrick Perkins, even Russell Westbrook. I mean, I don't know how many times he came to the defense of people talking about Russell Westbrook, uh, whereas he got here and suddenly all the criticism was aimed towards him and his decision. It wasn't really his basketball skill. It was like, you know, his competitive spirit sure. and all these like, kind of random buzzwords that he's just started to get so angry about. But then his, I believe, his thought was, well, if he goes to the finals, if he outplays LeBron James, if he's the best player in the world on the biggest stage, which he was. I mean, he was unbelievable in those finals, averaging 30-plus, great defensively, hit the Game 3 signature shot in that series to really you know, clinch the series in a lot of ways. Uh, he figured, well, that's validation. I'm going to go to the summer, and all these people that said, you know, I was riding coattails, anything like that, uh, they gotta, shut they have up. to shut him up. They have, it has to shut him up because I just proved it. I just outplayed who a lot of people would say is the greatest player ever in LeBron James, or at least, you know, one of the top two, top three. Uh, but they didn't, you know, he was at the ESPYs a week later and Peyton Manning is, uh, remember the joke Peyton Manning had on stage? That had face? to be set up. I don't, that had to be you set know, up. Did you report on that? I forget. Uh, you know, Haynes said it was set up, but okay. I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> you know, there were, that was still out there, you know, that he was doing that. And then he's going on Twitter and you remember all summer he was just, tweeting back at people and that was making headlines and then at that crested at the end of the summer with the whole burner account thing uh that i still believe far more players have that than we we've let on to know right? that well that was kind of the spiral that it was clear like man he's still affected by this and i think almost affected more because he's like well what can i do if i just did what i did in the nba finals and they're still killing me what and he can has I an do? Olympic title. What, what else can yeah. he do? And I, you know, and like I said, he wouldn't want us to tie that to why he's getting ejected. But I, I think he came into this year just. I mean, he's just a little bit uh, agitated by a lot of things out there, and maybe at times that's a miscall. I guess on the court, and he's taking it out on the ref over there. 
One of the things that's been most impressive about this Pacers team, and with so many new moving parts, I think just six guys back from last year, is the dynamic in the locker room and the chemistry, how, how tight they've become, how much fun they have together in such a short time. What is that dynamic like for the Warriors? And, and, and take us inside the locker room and guys joking and play around with one another, or, or is it very much a serious, lively environment? No, it's, it's loose. Um, and that I think it's probably looser than everyone in the league, but that – comes with winning uh it's a lot easier to you know it's, i do compare a lot of times the thunder to the warriors and it was a lot it was very high stress and stress in oklahoma city and i think a lot of that is how uh you know they run the organization but also like that was a place that was supposed to win a lot of titles and never did so every like every game always felt even right now this season there like every game feels so big where with the warriors like this game tonight is not big. It, they haven't had big games all season. That kind of uh, creates for a looser environment throughout the season. And then also uh, just, you know, how they run their stuff. You know, Kerr has off days all the time. And, you know, he, he sometimes they take field trips to do, you know, movies. Or, how is he doing? I haven't heard anything recently in the last couple months. Mm, is, he, is he doing okay and, and making it through? Making it through would you be know? the proper description. Um, you know, he's he, – it's not solved. What he's going through is not solved, but – the only thing he really likes to do that takes his mind away from the fact that like his life was completely altered by a botched surgery yeah. was uh, is coaching. So he's he went he left coaching last year during the playoffs because it, it was at an all time worst how he was feeling, and he was figuring that um, he could go get it solved. It he wasn't able to solve it. So but he was he, but when he was away, it would just like he would think about it even more than uh, if he's coaching. He doesn't have to think about it. But it's, like he's not doing. Uh, unbelievable right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, health wise, he still, you can even see it when you're ch- chat with him at times, you know, he's kind of flinchy and uh, it's, it's not great. I just love how often he talks and how he makes those media sessions fun, I guess, because so many of those are just back and forth. Who's healthy, who's available and whatnot. And I think he stopped doing this, but a couple months ago, right, you would long document what he would do pregame while he understood you guys had a job to do, and that was to tweet whatever the latest news was. So we saw, what, fingernail clippers, uh, a Rubik's Cube. Rubik's Cube. It was great. It said a yo-yo at times. Yeah, he said he got bored with that. He did kind of run it into the ground. I mean, once he did about the third one, he had made his point. But, uh, yeah, he's funny like that. He's, I mean, he's just a massive consumer of, of media. Uh, he, you know, he's mm-hmm. probably considered one of the best TNT uh, analysts that they've had, you know, I think yeah, that was a big loss. Yeah. They've, uh, I think broadcasts have missed him over the years. Uh, he was like the number one with Marv Albert, but, uh, he, you know, good talker understands the media unbelievably writes at times. He's written for the athletic a couple of times. He, he just, just wrote did, a yeah. first person thing for about Rick Welts making the hall of fame. Um, so that if you just have a coach that very much understands and almost enjoys our job and enjoys the back and forth of it all. And even when he says stuff knows like how it's going to be reported on. And, um, it's helpful, uh, it, way more than, than coaches at times who bite back, like you mentioned, or just make it just unpleasant. I mean, Jason Kidd, the biggest thing was trying to hear his press conference. Yeah. He just mumbled his way through it. Yeah. What are you guys going to do? Oh, we'll be all right. We'll just play some defense. What, Coach? There's 10 of us yeah. here. I can't hear you. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> uh, and there are times where Steve can be uh, short or uh, a little smart. We've seen Pop in the last week be awful. I was reading some of those tweets last yeah. night from those covering him, and he'd issue like a 43-second statement, take no questions, and leave the media scrum before even most media members made their way down there. Yeah. That one threw me off a little bit. Yeah, Steve's not uh, – he doesn't bat a 1,000% or 100, whatever you want to say, but um, – He's good most of the time, and you know, even in losses, he still 
he's really honest. But sometimes he'll like buy back a question, but th- that's understandable. It's a, that's a good nature back and forth too, and especially if he understands where you're coming from, that sort of thing. I'm curious from a national perspective, cause, and I'm sure a lot of Pacer fans are wondering too, what do you make of what Oladipo has done and what this Pacer team has done? I think, in my opinion at least, uh, the, the biggest surprise of the season team-wise in the league. Yeah, probably. I don't even know who, who else would be up. Utah could be up there. Yeah. Portland's uh, done some nice things, but that's not – Totally unexpected. Yeah, I think Philly being how good mm-hmm. Philly's been has been so. I remember their over under was like forty one, and I was like, yeah. oh, under for sure. Uh, but that's you know, probably that's, it right there. Those three. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it, you mentioned. I mean, biggest surprise in the league probably. It's it's been very much an Oladipo thing. I watched him last year in Oklahoma City. Um, struggled. To, I remember in that playoff series against Houston, he was not good. That was a major part of why they didn't win. And you know how much of that was just Westbrook's style of play holding him back. Uh, how much of it was, just, you know, he, I guess he had a really big summer and like mm-hmm. slice what yeah. you'd know better than me. What's as far interesting as that though story is goes. about Russell, a guy you covered for years, was he credited him for much of his development. He realized how serious he needed to take things, um, how he needed to treat his body, how he needed to be aggressive out on the court and change his mindset as much as anything. Yeah, and I'm not surprised that he's credited him that because as criticized as Westbrook is for a lot of things, like what a worker that guy is. I mean, he was unbelievable when I was there three hours before every game, same exact routine, laser focus. You walk in the locker room pregame, like don't even walk in his you know vicinity. He's just like uh, – the most focused, serious player ever uh, that I've ever covered for sure. Um, and, you know, you even talk to Duran about that at times, and it's like, the, you know, he learned early on. I remember he telling me a story that uh, Mo Cheeks, he he was working out post or like post-practice and Russell was going home, and he's like, you know, Coach Cheeks, like, well, why is Russell going home? You know, why, why doesn't he work out at all post-practice? He's like, because he was here three hours before practice working. Mm-hmm. And Durant was like, oh, okay, I'm going to try doing that. And so then they would be racing each other to the gym. But, like, Russell has helped, I think. Sometimes it creates that too high stress of environment that I was mentioning earlier that is around the Thunder, but he creates. Seems like there's always a tension bubble yes. around that team. Well, he he lives in tension. That's what Russell Westbrook, he loves competitive, you know, contentious situations. And that, you know, strength, biggest strengths or biggest weaknesses a lot of times. But I think for a guy like Oladipo, a young guy, who in Orlando probably had no one that had half the competitive juices yeah. Uh, that Russ had to walk into that environment, see w- the reason why Westbrook is where he's at, uh, and then ta- be able to take that out on his own. And, you know, you can be 80% of Westbrook and you're the most serious guy in Indiana. And a lot of times I think you probably need to be 80% because I don't think you should go full 100% Westbrook. Uh, but that's – I mean, you covered him this year. I mean, how serious of a worker he, has he been around here? I'm sure it's been – No, big time, yeah. yeah. And he – changed everything he's always carrying a gallon jug of water around with him anywhere the thing I'm wondering about is he's though very much loosey-goosey and having fun in the locker room and I would think Westbrook would absolutely hate it he's singing all the time he's playful I would think Russell's the exact opposite and would want to tone that down uh I I think Russ has got it a little bit better over the years uh as long as Russell's running the show as long as he's running the goofiness and everyone understands that. yeah like okay. if I say like cut it out it's gonna be cut out but if if there are mute moods maybe after a win or something like that where if Oladipo is singing well Russ might be singing along with him and like I said I was not at, in that locker room last year but you know Russell very yes well. um and he doesn't really like younger guys <laughs> goofing around but you know if older guys are in there, if, you know, Kendrick Perkins kind of always had his ear. KD, uh, there was always that level of, like, you know, you can't really cross KD if you're in the Thunder locker room. So 
it's interesting dynamics, but yeah, I would assume Victor can let it go a little bit more here. And also, you know, he if you're if you're guy number one, if you're option number one, you can kind of the the locker room can kind of take its shape around you. Uh, they take a, cues from Russell. Yes. Uh, where here yeah. they can take cues from Oladipo. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Are you fully expecting a, a Warriors? appearance in the finals, and maybe a rematch with Cleveland. I'm one that, much like I always was with the Spurs, I won't count them out until they prove me otherwise, and that's how I am again with LeBron-led teams. Yeah. Um, these two recent Cavs wins over the Raptors, like I think everyone around has kind of made you realize, yeah, you know. But I don't read much into the regular season either because what did we see years ago when LeBron was in Miami? They got swept during the regular season by Brooklyn, I think. Then swept Brooklyn in the postseason round yeah. one or two. I mean, I don't take too much into it either, but it's just I, I don't. It was just a reminder, like, oh yeah, you know, don't forget. Remember what he did in that game in Cleveland? I think he had like thirty-seven points, uh, zero turnovers, like seventeen assists. Uh, it was like, oh, man, in the highest stage. I, this is going to be his toughest road, probably in the last at least maybe five um, to get through the East. But I would have to favor them in the East. As far as the West, I mean. Uh, we'll see with Steph Curry. You know, if you could guarantee me seventy percent or higher of a Steph Curry uh, by start of round two or like mid round two, I'd probably still take the Warriors. Uh, but the Rockets are going to be tough. That West Finals, man, mm-hmm. we've been thinking that's about that's what it all we all want to that, see. That's the NBA Finals to a lot of people. Um, and if Steph's a bit hobbled like he was back in 2016, where they kind of flamed out at the end of those playoffs, then they're vulnerable. I don't think they're as vulnerable because Durant's you know, with the Warriors now, and he can shoulder a load. And even if Steph's 60%, you just put him out on the wing or have him jog around, and defenses are going to say, hey, that's Steph Curry, too. <laughs> you know, guys are going to be chasing him, and he's such a spacer that that'll help. But we'll see. Uh, I would, like I said, I'd still probably predict the Warriors just because we've seen it. And the last time we saw Houston on that stage, different team for sure, but they kind of uh, Harden had that uh, flame out last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he has, has more help this year. Yeah. But. It's going to start in Houston, and if there's a game seven, it's going to be in Houston, uh, and that's a factor. Uh, and I'm just I'm ready to see it, but I'd like to see it with all parts there. And I'm not even just talking on the Warriors side of things. I mean, you know, Chris Paul has a history of, of getting you know different muscle injuries or you know a thumb thing like in the playoffs. I just hope that we get to that point of M, uh, West Finals game one round one and all the major players are there and it's in Houston and, and let's get it going. Last thing to bring it back local David West a guy now you've covered for the last couple of years what's his role on the team both within the locker room as uh, whether it's a team spokesman or a leader how much of that and where is he getting a challenge and by that I mean he part of why he wanted to leave was a new challenge to learn from San Antonio to learn from better players around him where is he getting that challenge? Uh, I think he just really likes how they play um, it, it's unlocked him he, he's averaging his most assist per 36 minutes ever uh he only plays me you know they've they've got him in this great role for him which is he plays about 12 to like 14 15 minutes a night where it's he just does not play at all in the first and third quarters starts the second and fourth quarters if he's playing well maybe he'll play six seven eight nine minutes of the second uh in fourth quarters if you know it's not his night maybe they pull him with you know five minutes into his stint but uh it it preserves his body and you know we talk about a guy with all the depot who takes care of his body i've never seen a 37 year old that is as in shape as david west is uh which has helped and he just had a really good year so i just think uh he's talked about look if i if i was sitting here didn't not knowing if i could still play in this league at 37 i would have retired a long time ago but he's just proved he keeps proving to himself and the league that he can be effective he 
he's hasn't been as good in the last month or so, but he was their best center by far in the first half of the season, uh, shooting above 60%. So I think a lot of just his success is what's kept him going. And then as far as like what uh, role he has in the locker room, uh, Steve Kerr just likes to say if David West talks, because he, he doesn't talk a ton. He's not just sitting there jabbering all the time. It's usually like kind of like the guy in the back, the the wily old veteran that he if he steps up and has to say something, everyone's looking and everyone's paying attention because he's only saying stuff that is substantial that matters. Uh, he's definitely got Draymond Green's ear, and if you have Draymond Green's ear, wow, you, okay. you have everyone's ear. Uh, and I mean, you covered him. Uh, just wise, incredibly intelligent. One of the probably best, maybe five, six, seven veteran voices you could probably insert into a locker room, and it works perfectly uh, with a locker room that loves that kind of voice. Especially, he plays well with Iguodala too. I think. Yeah, uh, for us room. here, if, if there was a situation going on, a losing streak uh, or winning streak for that matter, he was the guy that would explain things to us. He would be the go-to guy um, that would take the time to do that. Yeah, he's very good with the media, and that's that is very helpful um, because it's you know, I don't know about that Pacers locker room. A lot of these guys are excellent now. Yeah, a lot the of these I've guys uh, with the Warriors are good um, after losses. But like you said, David will will break it down, and he just doesn't BS at all. Um, and that helps their you know when they're having a team meeting or something. Like I said, like if he steps up in the back and has something to say, you're like, okay, this is uh, informative and straight to the point. Yeah. Where same with the media, you know, a lot of times you can go to these guys. They're cordial, but they're just kind of you know saying the blase cliches or whatever. Like David usually like he'll just get straight to the point. I appreciate it, Anthony. Yeah. We'll go cover shoot around here, but thanks for taking the time, and we'll continue to follow your coverage on The Athletic in the Bay Area. Yep, thanks for having me. That's Anthony Slater of The Athletic. This has been another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'll talk to you again next week.